Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins, a mental health podcast focused on the importance of finding joy and happiness in daily living. I'm your host, Stella Stephanopoulos, and this week I am so thrilled to have Hannah Minardi and Austin Weiberg on the podcast. They're the co-founders of Standard Self-Care, which is the leading cosmeceutical skincare line designed to help you streamline and upgrade your daily ritual with clean, bioactive products that actually work and enhance your skin. And in this episode, Austin and Hannah talk a little bit about their own background, how they got into entrepreneurship, why they're fascinated by the wellness space, and what inspired them to start Standard Self-Care. We also get into the science behind cosmeceuticals, how they can transform your skin, and what the concept of self-care really means, how we can define it in a way that doesn't trivialize this idea of taking care of ourselves and doing things for our self-care. Austin and Hannah provide a really interesting perspective on how they see the wellness industry and what this concept of self-care means and is. So really excited to dive into this podcast. Before we get into the episode, reminder to like, rate, and review Everyday Endorphins on whichever listening platform you prefer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Austin. Thank you so much for coming on to Everyday Endorphins. It's so great to have you here. Thanks for having us. I want to start off by having the both of you share a bit more about your stories and how you both came together and co-founded Standard Self-Care. So can you talk a little bit about you know your background in the wellness world? Maybe we'll start with you, Hannah, and then can bring it to Austin, but would love to just hear a bit more about kind of both of your entry points into wellness and your passion for health and well-being. Okay, well, I'll start with my personal background. So I have been a wellness fanatic and also have gotten the opportunity to be a part of a lot of fast-growing startups mostly in the CPG realm, which is consumer packaged goods and in the better food product space. So being a part of all these teams from very early stages kind of got to see what work a lot of what works, a lot of what doesn't work, and a lot of good teams and a lot of bad teams. So I've had a lot of experience just with a broad range of startups that have just begun and some that are much larger. I got to consult with Nike also for a few years. So After having all of that kind of under my belt, and also I still consult on other brands as well, just because I'm I'm also very passionate about the Better 3 product space. A few years ago, we started Standard Self-Care, and kind of all of us have that same foundation. So I'll let Austin kind of get more into the weeds of his background, but I think that that's something that's the common ground with all of us is that we also have a third co-founder who is also personally very passionate about the better food product space. He had invested in a lot of better food products, had his hands involved in different things, but wanted to start his own and be a part of his own brand. And same for both of us. We had been a part of a lot of these amazing wellness brands, better food products that were making a really big difference in the market. And we both wanted to be able to start ours from the ground up. 
I think for us with standard, it's called standard self-care because we want it to be a higher standard for all of your self-care rituals. And like I said, having seen a lot of these other products and how they launched and kind of what we wanted to take from them that was good. And then also what we wanted to put our spin on is that we really wanted to create a brand at a higher standard. So that meant for the performance that the products had, but also for the ingredients that and formulas that we created as well. So that was kind of the basic foundation for us starting the skincare line. But also if you want to jump in yeah. your personal backend. 100%. I started in like the Better For You product space pretty similarly. Right out of college, it was like actually in my senior year of college, it was actually me taking part in a large juice startup. It's called Suda Juice. You may have heard of it. It's kind of now it's like in every single store there is, I feel like. But got my feet kind of wet in the CPG space, the healthy space that way. And it really showed you what health products were differentiating themselves for. Right. You measure a healthy juice versus like Oddwalla and things like that. They teach you that on the marketing side of the thing, like really how to push the brand in a way that's different. Right. And how how much healthier is it? Right. So that's kind of how I got my feet wet in it. During that time, Hannah and I were actually in school together and she was working for another startup that was very similar. And that's how we kind of, I guess, bonded, came together and we're like, oh, we're doing the same thing with pretty much the same people, too, because the CPG healthy CPG space is pretty small. Like you normally go to the same events, you'll see the same people pretty consistently. And on top of that, we went to the same school. So I really got very ingrained in that. I did all the events. I met a ton of people. It was amazing because you kind of see like-minded people consistently in the same space that are all concerned about their health, right? Now it's big, but back then I feel like it was just kind of ramping up heavily. So it's like Whole Foods was getting extremely, extremely popular. Now obviously it's household name. But in general, I've been involved in entrepreneurship since then. I studied that in, in college and kind of came out with the, with the idea that I was going to be creating businesses already and I needed a mentor or at least a, new, a company to start that would teach me a lot. One thing that we learned in there that was interesting, I would say, while working for some of these healthier, healthier brands, healthier products was not everything is as it seems. People can call themselves natural. There's not exactly a approved definition for natural. And right from the jump, I've always wanted to solve that problem, right? I've always wanted to be like the transparent type when it comes to health, say, hey, this product is great. It's not like the most healthy thing you can have for you, but it's a better option than going out and drinking five Coca-Colas a day, right? <laughs> or going out and drinking five Monster Energies a day. There's a clean energy perspective to this, right? So there's always like pros and cons of each product. I want to make that very clear. But our goal is actually to make one with pretty much all pros, right? And that's where we end up starting Standard. Me and our third co-founder, we were very good friends at at the time still are and we pretty much started with the list of things that we didn't want in those products right we knew we wanted like the healthiest line you could possibly come up with at scale obviously there's a scalable component to any business right and that's when we invited hannah in we kind of were like okay we need a provocateur of what is good and what is bad right and that's what hannah is amazing at including a majority of her amazing branding skills too so we knew that's what we were kind of missing he was on the financial side I'm more on like the digital and e-com side of things and technology side of things. We needed the final link, as most people call it, someone that could bring the heat when it came to branding and came to just knowledge of the overall space. So I think I just texted you and I was like, hey, does this sound interesting to you? We're looking at this. We don't even know where we really want to start. We just know what we don't want, right? We need transparency. We want to have a great, healthy brand and we want to provide all the products that people want and be transparent in the way that we market them. From there, we did a lot of research, realized that a lot of people had trouble 
forming kind of like a synopsis around what is a healthy, clean skincare product. And we also found out that obviously skin is your largest organ of your body. So we were very intrigued with that. Hannah obviously has an intense skincare routine, whereas us guys didn't at the time. I'll put it that way. So it was very interesting just to learn about the, the idea of creating a healthy skincare brand. And we went from research to there, came up with our list of no's, right? And then really worked with our formulators and our chemists to kind of come up with the healthiest and science-backed and performance-driven skincare line that we call Standard Self-Care today. Yeah, I love that. I have a lot of follow-up questions. I think the first, the place that I want to start is, you know, with both of your backgrounds and experience, I feel like the health brand side space is just very like oversaturated and it can feel like there's so much out there, especially with news and media. I feel like every day we're constantly being told, do this one thing for our health. And then the next day it's like, we'll do the other thing. There's just all this contradictory news that we're constantly being fed. So from your perspectives, how do you stay grounded with like all of the stuff that's going on around us, specifically in the health space? Like what advice would you have for people who are trying to navigate figuring out what the best product is for them or figuring out what the best brand is for them? Because I think so much of our health needs to be guided back to like trusting our intuition and knowing what's right for us. Like I personally have a lot of thoughts on the health and wellness space at large and how it's communicated in media because health really is not a one size fits all in my perspective. Like you have to find what works for you. And so with your wide variety of experiences, what advice would both of you have for people trying to kind of tap back into their intuition and figure out what exactly is the right regimen for me? What's the right routine? What are the things that I should be incorporating into my day to day that is in alignment with my health and wellness goals? I would say you kind of hit on it, but I do think figuring out and being way more intuitive with your body is so essential. I am actually the guinea pig type early adapter kind of person. So I am the person that tries everything. And I had always been that way since I was probably in sixth grade. I was trying every trend that has come along the way. I don't know how many years it's been since that. But I think what I learned the most, I actually had a a bit of an autoimmune journey that I went on and I think I had so many different doctors and specialists that told me do this do that be vegan be this and I knew intuitively oh when I did that I had no energy and I just kind of over time realized that I had to figure out what worked for my body and I think that it's not exactly like a rule book for life for everyone to follow but you have to figure out what you can do that makes you be able to perform in your daily life, like whatever your energy expenditure needs to be. So if you need to be able to make it through an eight plus hour work day, and I don't know, if you have a family, take care of your family and take care of your house. And you have to figure out what you have to do to get that all done. So whether that's like sticking to a specific diet or figuring out what you need to take out of your diet or figuring out what self-care rituals you need to add. And then on a product note, I think you kind of founded standard in our product line on the notion of trying to simplify your routine. So we launched our three products. It's not a complete skincare set. You still probably need a, a regular cleanser, but at the same time, it's a very simplified routine. We wanted to make sure you didn't have to use 10 plus products, although sometimes I do. But when I'm traveling or when I want a very quick routine, it's, it's your most simple steps that you can do and keep your skin and your hormone health really in check because also our products like Austin was saying earlier we wanted to make sure that they were very clean and 
that's not just for the sake of being able to call it a clean product. We really wanted it to be able to empower the rest of your life. And a lot of the products that we use today, especially girls, use so many products. And you might not realize, but a lot of your products can actually be affecting your hormones, which is super essential for how you're able to carry on with the rest of your life. If you're really low energy or you're dealing with crazy hormonal swings, a lot of that can be contributed to the products that you apply topically. Yeah, that's such a good point. I feel like everything impacts our hormones at the end of the day. And even the things we don't feel like we're not super cognizant of, like really there is that connection. And I want to go back to something you said earlier, Austin, you made a comment how Hannah at the time, like had this very elaborate skincare routine and like maybe you or like some other guys like didn't. Do you feel like there's a gender disparity in the skincare world also? When we think of self-care, I feel like it's very much this like feminine idea of like taking care of ourselves, like luxuriating, but like really it's not. And I want to hear your perspective on this too, kind of what that looks like or any thoughts on, you know, making this concept of skincare more accessible, but like also not tied to like needing to look a certain way either. Yeah. Everyone needs self-care, right? So whether you're a man, woman, or anything in between, like you need that feel good feeling. And that's that's also why we started with skin too. It has, it affects your confidence in a way that this eating might not, right? It affects how people look at you, how you feel about yourself, et cetera. We really wanted to help people on the confidence train because I think that is like the start to it, right? It's kind of like working out. If you hit one workout, which I'm a big fan of, I have to work out pretty much every single day. It helps you so much get to that next step and next day and maybe some motivation and, and self-confidence that you feel so good that you want to do it again the next day, right? So that's why we love routines, right? Is because everyone needs a routine for that confidence. And we really felt like there was, I would say, in general disparity, right? Most people and most guys will use a bar of soap as their skincare routine versus like, there's so many products out there for women. I would say that that's getting better. For sure. And that's one of the reasons we want to be like a big contributor of this is like everyone deserves Mm self-care, right? I think in general, men are maybe left out of the equation sometimes because we don't even put ourselves in the equation sometimes, right? I think it's huge. If you ask like 10 of my friends, zero of them are going to have a skincare routine, right? But that's not necessarily on anyone but themselves, right? You have to look internally and really find a cause for yourself. And if that cause and if you're really ingrained in like well-being... I think that's where you'll find a lot of men that do have self-care routines, whether that's skincare or going to the gym. A lot of it's just different self-care routines too, right? Like Hannah will tell you that hers is 10 steps for the skincare, right? Versus mine is like, I have to hit the gym. And some of that overlaps. A lot of it overlaps with knowledge, what research you do. And even kind of going back to your last question, my biggest thing is like, do your research, right? On how it can affect your work, your home life and everything in between. It's all positive, right? If you're looking to really take yourself to the next level, whether that's entrepreneurship, just your daily job, or I don't know how you care about your kids, anything really, caring for yourself is a first step because if you're not there, like you can't do those things, right? You can't care for others in that, in that process. So taking care of yourself is huge in every single day life. I think one thing that's interesting to me that you brought up is like holistically, you have to look at holistic health, right? It's never good to get so, so ingrained in like, oh, I can't do this or I have to do this or I have to do this. I think that's not good for your mental health, right? To some extent. So you have to really look at health holistically and say, 
hey, how can I like do proper research, but also not listen to like one person or one label specifically, like right within the marketing realm? Because sometimes those people are not the person you should be listening to, or there's differentiating opinions. You have to do what's best for yourself. Also, when we started the branding on, on our product line, we kind of put that into the foundation of we wanted both men and women to feel super confident if they grabbed one of the bottles or the jar and feel comfortable using it, honestly, because I think Austin could probably speak to this too more than me. But if, if it looks too feminine, you know, you're instantly kind of going to be deterred or think it's not for you. Like that is something that I remember hearing a lot earlier. I, even with my brother, if he saw a bottle, I, I'd listen to him and be like, oh, that, that's for girls. You know, it'd instantly be in that bucket. And so our product then was really actually designed from the beginning to be something that men could actually buy, feel comfortable having as men's skincare, or also if it's at, you know, their partner's house, they could feel comfortable using it, you know, and it's a very neutral product. Yeah, I love that. I mean, something I was also kind of just thinking about is just obviously a skincare line is very different from a podcast, but maybe like the approach is kind of similar. When I first started the show, I was thinking about who do I want to interview? What do I want the angle of the conversations to be? And when we think about wellness, maybe it's this like fluffy concept, like health and wellness and well-being. But really, I wanted to make sure the interviews that I was doing, the types of people that I was going to bring on, like was very diverse and well-rounded because wellness doesn't just exist in this like little black box only meant for like one type of person or like one gender. Like it's really expansive and health and wellness and well-being permeates into all aspects of our lives. And so you can't really think about it as this like one separate thing because, you know, to your point earlier, Austin, it's like kind of this domino effect. The way that you show up for yourself is going to impact and influence A, your ability to follow through on those healthy practices. Like it builds confidence if you go to the gym consistently and if you exercise and likely if you're being really disciplined about that, you're going to make healthier choices. And then that'll affect likely your skincare and, and how you look and your appearance. And it's kind of like the cyclical thing. So I really like that you brought that up. And it's kind of like this concept on, you know, they say on an airplane, you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help someone else. So like, how can you show up for yourself first and truly take care of yourself before you're able to extend that energy and take care of someone else. So I really think that's important to keep in mind as well. But going back more to really like the product line, something that I saw a lot on your website and on social media is like this concept of, correct me if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, cosmeceuticals. Was that the correct pronunciation? Yeah. Can you tell me more what cosmeceuticals are? How can they impact your skin? Like maybe we can talk a little bit more about like the science behind the product and really like the makeup of standard self-care. I'd say we'd like to start with the why here because the why is huge on like why we're a cosmeceutical, right? And then we'll kind of go into the what. You want to take the what? I'll take the what. Sure. All right. All right. So the why behind that is when you look at, when you really went into our like depth of research, what we found from most consumers specifically when we kind of surveyed the land, as they say, what we found is there's a lot of healthy products, like there is healthy products out there that people felt good about using, but they didn't provide the results they wanted, right? And then there's a lot of non-healthy products out there 
they provided the results they wanted, but also had kind of like side effects, right? As we call it, right? It's almost like the world of medicine, which is exactly why you'll see cosmeceuticals. It's the formation of cosmetics and pharmaceuticals in one word. And the goal there is to pretty much provide clean results-driven beauty, right? That is the key because you can have clean beauty and you can have results-driven beauty, but to put those together is actually a really difficult mission as we found out the hard way. But I'll let Hannah jump in and talk about what exactly cosmeceuticals means and why it's so important to us. Yeah, so kind of to his point, so it's cosmetics that are pharmaceutical grade. So when applied, they actually have a clinical effect. So all of our products have been tested and have results that have been proven over clinical trials. So you know, you still get the anti-aging benefits that you're looking for, especially with skincare. And especially we have a moisturizer and our eye cream that work deep within skin layers because they have the cosmeceuticals, but then they have ingredients that you can feel super confident in. And to Austin's point, like if you're using a really clean product, we've all done this, or you use like a clean deodorant or a clean toothpaste, and if it doesn't work, you go back to your tried and true. So our whole thesis was let's make products and let's not launch them until they're perfect. Let's make them that you don't want to go back to any other product after using them. This is our higher standard. We want you to use this product and then this is your new holy grail and not have to feel like you're compromising because it's a clean product. That's the essential thing. The biggest example we like to use specifically in the health realm and CBG realm is like, is deodorant mostly because there's a lot of heavy metals in your average deodorant, like the doves, the, sorry, not to, not to brain shame here, but there is, that's just a fact, right? So if you have like heavy metals like aluminum in your deodorant, that's what actually normally clogs your pores and helps you not sweat, right? So like, that's the effect that you're really looking for, right? At the end of the day is if you don't sweat, you don't smell, etc. A lot of the heavy metal free deodorants take a little longer to really get used to and they don't really suppress you sweating and therefore they don't suppress the smell. Right. So it's kind of like if you were to go from a Dove to, I don't know, some other healthy deodorant that's aluminum free and you realize that like, hey, I'm, I'm just sweating more. This isn't really doing anything. It's not solving the problem that I actually had. You're going to go back to the Dove. Right. But at the same time, you know, the Dove has other things in it that may not be the greatest for your body in general when they're ingested through your skin. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's always kind of that perfect balance of like we need both. We need it to be clean and not have any side effects and also effective. And I think the third thing that we haven't really touched on is just pure efficacy, right? That has a lot to do with the results-driven perspective that we take, because if it's not efficacious, it's just going to be there, right? That's how we look at it. We really, really pushed hard on the efficacy scale to say, hey, like, if we're going to use these ingredients, they need to, it needs to come in proper percentages and components into where we really like see that clinical effect versus like, you can make a healthy product that has little to no efficacy, right? And it won't really do much for you. Yeah. And I think too, like that when we were formulating, we had finished the products and then COVID started. Yeah. So we actually took that opportunity instead of rushing and trying to launch right when COVID started, we thought, okay, the world is paused. Let's go back to the drawing board actually. And we kind of took our formulas back to the drawing board and make sure that they went down that checklist of Is it a really clean formula and will all people using it notice a difference? And so we completely redrew the whole formulation of our eye cream, for example. We did that multiple times until you could actually notice a difference because especially for myself, I knew when I use an eye cream, if I didn't notice a difference, I would maybe some nights not apply it or I kind of forget about it or I have like a whole eye cream graveyard basically that I just had all these eye creams I never used because... 
I couldn't tell if they were working or not. And so we really wanted to make sure that our eye creams and all of our products are ones that you used and you can notice a difference. Yeah. So when we talk about the list of no's, this is kind of what we mean. And I'll go through it. It's vegan, non-toxic, non-GMO, no silicones, no artificial fragrances, no fillers, no synthetic chemicals, no artificial colors, paraben-free, cruelty-free, and we're third-party ISO accredited for lab testing for against heavy metal and molds, right? You'll see a lot of those in pairs and maybe like threes, right? But as far as we know, we haven't found anything that's that dynamic and that intense when it comes to what we haven't put in our products. So it really took us that two to three years of like finding everything that we could use versus what we couldn't use and launching something that we're actually truly proud of. And that's what played into our marketing too. Right? We like to be as transparent as possible. You can't be as transparent as possible if you are kind of hiding certain ingredients. We'll put it that way. Totally. I mean, these are like so many challenges I feel like you both had to face when developing the product and really wanting, I can like feel that sense of authenticity coming through, even just how you're describing really the inception of standard self-care. And, um, you know, I want to pivot a little bit and hear more about this entrepreneurial journey. It's really hard to build something and to also want it to be of like the highest quality, be the most transparent, like really ambitious goals. And COVID clearly forced you to pivot and redirect and develop a new strategy. So can you talk a little bit more about how the both of you have navigated some of those unforeseen challenges as entrepreneurs and maybe lessons that you learned from like the previous parts of your career and how you've taken those learnings and allowed yourselves to kind of bring that into this new phase of your careers and launching Standard? For me, what was essential, I think, is that I wasn't a part of all successes. And I also think Austin can, can talk to this too, but not every company I was a part of was a success, but I was a part of some very fast growing companies from a really early age. The first startup I jumped in at 18 and was a part of it for its booming years. And it grew exponentially quicker than all of us could have ever thought. And it was really amazing products and was in basically every retailer in the country, big grocery retailer basic, uh, in like 2014 through 2017 about. And you were, you were in college during that point. So you were working for a startup while in school. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. My average sleep was like three hours a night for the whole year. It was wild. But it was such a such an amazing opportunity. And I think that in and of itself, that company actually ended up dissolving it. And even though it had so much early success, and I think even though some people could look at that and it could be labeled a failure, it was invaluable for me, especially at such a young age, to be a part of that on the executive team of it and being able to see it from start to when we had to unfortunately close it but I wouldn't change any of that because I was able to then take that and every other company that I've been a part of since kind of take the learnings of you know you ask so many different questions when a company is at that very pivotal point that a lot of companies don't ask until they're at that point and I think it helped me a lot in being able to identify things a lot earlier on and just kind of spot what the winners were a lot sooner. And yeah, I've gotten to be a part of a lot of other teams just through consulting on brands since that time. And I think that has also been amazing. I've been a part of large, large teams. I've been a part of international teams. And I think all of that kind of knowledge of different ways to lead teams, different ways to build teams and 
what first hires that people made has definitely helped in this experience a lot. Mine's very similar, honestly. We actually kind of like worked at companies that were like kind of the brainchilds of one another. Yeah. That Suja company, there was a juice company. I was working for them probably, I think, my last year of college. They grew so fast within two years, they ended up selling Coca-Cola within that time frame, right? So it was like really intense. We were going to like three events a day while also having a packed schedule. But what I realized very quickly is like I didn't really like school that much. I like working a lot better and I like creating things a lot better. And it was much more fun, right? You make relationships too in that time. That like exactly like we just, that's how we met, right? So it's just a different different category of happiness, I guess, when you're working at the actual startup versus at school. I'll put it that way. But yeah, Hannah kind of took the cake with that one. It's all about failure, honestly. And I know a lot of people say that a lot of the times, but not a lot of people actually have the guts to go out and fail, to be honest. Like, yeah, you might have failed, but maybe you didn't try hard enough. I failed five times before I even had one success, right? But we've always tried our hardest to make it work. And there is really no true, true failure in business if, as long as you learn something and apply it to your next project, right? Again, a lot of people sometimes have trouble with that. They get really... They don't, they want to just discontinue their entrepreneurial journey because they got so down on themselves for failing once. It's like the problem with that, especially in today's world, is actually a lack of self-care represented within the like social media realm of things, right? If you look at media right now, it's all about, oh, this person did this and you see the next greatest person, you see the next greatest person, you see the next greatest person. None of those people got there without zero failure. Like there's very few at the minimum and they probably had something going on and that's why their first was such a success, right? They came up with something super blue ocean strategy, which is just like brand new, crazy. No one had ever heard of it before, right? But in general, if you're creating something and there's already a market for it and already competition in there, you're going to fail. Whether that's your marketing plan, I don't know, the people that you hire, you know, it always comes down to how fast can you learn. That's a great point. Like that resiliency, the fear of failure is what often really holds us back, whether or not you're an entrepreneur, just making bold choices in life, right? Having the confidence in your decision making, just the fear of rejection, fear of failure, whatever it is. If you learn to embrace failure rather than fear it and just recognize it's part of the process and also recognize that it's not a reflection of like who you are at the core either. It probably makes it easier to keep going. I mean, it's something that I've also kind of struggled with is like not, you know, so closely identifying with the outcome of the things that I'm doing. You know, if I just learn to disattach or like de-identify myself a little bit, there wouldn't really be that fear there. It's a hard thing to kind of grapple with. There's honestly a blessing in failing early. We got to fail early and I think that made it so maybe our risk tolerance is just a lot higher because we've seen what it's like to fail, but it it does make you bold because you realize, oh, I've already failed before and I've always already kind of leveled up from there and it's not the end of the world if something fails. So you can keep creating and keep putting things out there without having that like looming over you like, oh, but what if I put it out there and it doesn't do well? That kind of goes away. Yeah. We already have like 10 years under our belt and all we have to thank for that is just because we started early, right? Like you see a lot of people starting insane businesses at like 35, 40, even 50, right? Because they're so experienced. My thought process there was always like, I started working when I was like 13, whether that, and it was like, okay, I'm going to create my own little business mowing lawns, right? So it's definitely gotten bigger and you fail even at that type of stuff when you're a kid to really make you realize like that's just your war, right? That's your daily war that you have to go after to create something the way you want it to. But kind of going off that, Hannah and I have an interesting realm because our theory has always kind of been like start on the digital side and the service promotion side. 
And we ended up creating agencies first, right? So she has an agency. I have an agency. We're actually working on kind of combining those. She works with a lot of other CPG founders, which helps her gain her knowledge from them, right? Who already have a ton of failure. They can steer her in the right direction if things go wrong. And same with mine. I've been just as blessed. I think when you have those services to offer, mine is digital marketing. Hers mostly in branding and PR, things like that. When you have those, you connect with people who have kind of been along the same path, but have had different experiences, different failures, et cetera. And you get to talking and you're like, oh, that same thing happened to me. Like, that's interesting. We probably shouldn't do that again, right? So it's an interesting ideology behind. Some people would probably call us crazy for failing so many times and still believing in ourselves, but just what it takes. Well, you paint your own reality. And at the end of the day, if you want other people to buy into your idea, you have to really have that full belief behind it, right? So, and I think specifically in the founder space, it's nice to kind of lean on other people who have been there and done that and get it, like understand the mental battles that come with grappling with failure and keep putting one foot in front of the other and just coming back to that belief. And, you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about deeply impact our well-being and our mental health and really our, our happiness. And this podcast, Everyday Endorphins, it's all about finding the joys in daily living and the pursuit of happiness or rather like the pursuit of just seeking out those small endorphins every day. So one question that I want to ask the both of you is, how do you define happiness? You know, how has your perception of happiness been shaped throughout your lived experiences, the course of your life, and just your general interest in well-being? To me, honestly, I'm not on a pursuit of happiness. I think happiness is actually, you know, it's definitely a choice, but I think that happiness is, is an emotion. It's something that's fleeting. So to me, it's not always, oh, how can I be 100% happy all the time? It's more like, how can I be balance no matter what comes at me and I think that's where kind of your routines and your daily self-care habits really come to play because you have to have those things that you fall back on that can give you that consistency so that you know whether you feel happy or whether you feel down you have that equilibrium that keeps you there and then you know obviously some things are going to make you more excited than others but being on a constant hunt for happiness I think can kind of lead you astray also because it's just not always possible and you can't control how sometimes you may feel or our circumstances way out of your control so it's like have you heard of the concept of toxic positivity yes oh yeah it's that idea exactly like you're not going to be happy 100% of the time. And if you were, there'd be something deeply wrong, right? So it's really like managing your emotions and coming from a place of responding versus reacting. So I really like that distinction that you make, Hannah. Austin, is there anything you would like to add about your definition of happiness, how it's been shaped over the course of your life? Yeah, I'll speak to this just because we kind of talked about failure, right? So I'll talk a little bit about success here on the on a different side. When I was like younger and going into college, my biggest thing was like always kind of like pleasing the people around me. I was a big giver. I still am. Like I try and have a big heart and I try and give people what they want. But if you give too much, like you'll put yourself in an interesting position. I figured that out very soon too. But I always wanted to kind of be the successor of my parents, right? So that was my happiness was like pleasing my parents, mostly because they spent 18 years of their life driving me around to soccer practices, driving me down to LA and back to Sacramento for soccer games on the weekends, right? The sports kind of mentality and everyone, it was very competitive. 
everybody kind of just assumed I would go the soccer route. And then I realized there's just no money in it, to be honest. Like something clicked in my head after. And that was after like winning a national championship, right? We were very successful at that. But I always knew I had the leadership talent. And I kind of just realized that at the end of the day, I didn't think I could be the successor that I wanted to be or have that success that I wanted to if I really never took a step back and said, hey, soccer's probably not going to do this for me. I need to find something else. At the time, my parents were not too happy with that conversation that I had to have, right? But as soon as I kind of got in school, they still were not happy. And then I tried after school and they still were not happy. And then as soon as I finally like kind of like realized the exact way that I needed to do business and the, what was going to make me successful, right? It seemed like I was happy because they were happy. In reality, that wasn't even the case. Like they were always happy with me, but that was just my version of happiness because I wanted to please my parents because I knew that they had done so much for me that I couldn't let that go to waste, right? So I felt blessed enough to realize, hey, the people around me are counting on me. And now I feel like I can kind of provide for my family the way that I think everybody should want to provide for their family. That's my happiness at the end of the day. I love that. I mean, there are a few things that you shared first, people pleasing. I think a lot of us fall victim to that and recognize quickly that it's not the best thing to do all the time. Like you're actually not putting your needs first in a way that you should be. But, you know, it comes from this desire to keep an open heart and to want to give. So those are all great things. But it's like, how do you find that balance of having boundaries and like doing what's best for yourself, but also like equally giving as well. But I I get that too. Like I'm very close to my parents and so much of what I did growing up and even what I do now, it's like, I I do want to make them happy and I want them to be proud of me. But you also like, I've had to learn and recognize that whatever I do at the end of the day shouldn't be in the, in the pursuit of like, making someone else happy. Whatever I do, they're going to be happy with as long as I am finding joy in myself and setting myself up for success, however I define that. So I totally get that. And, you know, happiness is just such an interesting topic. I think it's a concept that can just shift throughout the course of our lives and our lived experiences. I think that really kind of determines how we engage with the pursuit of happiness, or even if that's not what you want to call it, just like, how do we lead fulfilling, meaningful lives? And something that I constantly come back to, it's kind of like the lifeline, the thread of everyday endorphins is redirecting your attention to the things that bring you joy every day. So it doesn't have to be like being happy all the time, but like inevitably when you're in these moments of distress and you're kind of like not feeling super great about yourself, like what can I focus on that's going to make me feel 10% happier? So given what I just mentioned, the final question that I have for the both of you is a question that I ask every guest on the podcast. What is something that brings you a bit of endorphins, a bit of joy every day? I think some kind of movement routine for me is big. That can instantly change my mood and kind of be that yeah, mood booster energy booster, whether that's workout, whether that's walking, whether that's, I just was in Hawaii with my family and I got to do a bunch of hula dancing with my grandma. And I think, yeah, just some kind of movement is really essential. And then also something for your mind. So whether that's listening to a podcast or being off your phone or reading and yeah, something that you can really reset your mind. I was going to say you, but you didn't say me. So (laughs) I think Business partners and, and things can really affect the way you are because you spend so much time with them, right? Like if you don't have a good business partner, chances are you're not going to have a good business. That's one thing I really respect. Uh, Hannah and I have done well 
and we've known each other for like 10 years. So I think it's always nice to have someone that motivates you and really takes that next step into kind of what I would consider fear slash risk to start a business with you, right? But and then if we're talking about not people, I would say the gym. <laughs> I have to have the gym. If you don't kind of relieve the stress of the day, then you're not going to be able to work to your best best benefit. And I know that when I get in the zone at the gym, those endorphins are really pumping. And I tell him all the time, like the gym and golf are two of the places that I just like don't think about working. It's the only two places because like we have a lot going on. And those are the only two things that I can just kind of like, oh, so focused on what I'm doing here. And the endorphins are flowing of like trying to get better at the gym or trying to get better at golf, right? It's literally the only thing that takes my mind off of it. Yeah. Movement is medicine, honestly. So the famous Elwood's quote, exercise brings you endorphins and endorphins make you happy. So yes, the gym, working out, any type of movement, but also the quality of people around you, 100%. You know, the strength of our relationships are one of the strongest predictors to our well-being and our satisfaction in life. So your answers are very on brand with many of the responses I hear, but also like there is science that supports this too. So loved what you had to share. Where can my listeners follow along with your journeys? Where can they connect with you? And where can they check out Standard Self Care? Yeah, our standard handles are at Standard Self Care everywhere. Are on all platforms, but we are very active on Instagram and TikTok. So if you're looking for any skincare tips, our TikTok is very active with all of your skincare questions. And then our, our website is just at or just standardselfcare.com. And we also have a code for all of you listening. So it's going to be endorphins 40 for 40% off your order. And yeah, we hope you all get to try standard. Fantastic. I will link all of this in the episode bio. So everyone who's listening, you can just go there to the notes section. You can click the links I'm going to post. Definitely use the Endorphins 40 code for 40% off. Super excited to have a little affiliate code, which is going to be great. And just so grateful that the two of you were able to come onto the podcast and so happy that we got to have this conversation. So thank you again. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Endorphins. If you liked what you heard, make sure to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever platform you prefer. You can also follow along the Everyday Endorphins Instagram account to stay up to date with episodes, future events, and all things related to mental health, well-being, and happiness.
Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things in life that bring you joy every day. Until next time.